This is made for you by All Souls, a church in Seattle, Washington, seeking to be a community not just for ourselves, but a vibrant expression of who God is, gracious, present, hospitable. Take a moment now to come as you are and bring your attention to God. So um, Aristotle, the Greek philosopher and general genius, uh, once said this about anger. He said, anybody can become angry. That is easy. (laughs) But to be angry with the right person and to the right degree and at the right time and for the right purpose and in the right way, (laughs) that is not within everybody's power and is not easy. Do you get what he's saying? How many of us just this week have become angry at the wrong person or to the wrong degree or at the wrong time or for the wrong reason or in the wrong way? Like, feel free to raise your hand. Anybody? Okay. I don't see everyone's hand up yet. So, (laughs) all right, now we're being a little more honest. Um, So in our passage today, we see Jesus's anger on display. We see Jesus turning over tables, and we read about him driving these market sellers out of the temple, and it's a moment of zeal, as the text describes it. It's a moment of passion, right? You can almost imagine, like, the disciples getting especially excited, you know, the ones especially that were known as zealots. Uh, They had been militant activists before they met Jesus, and they're like, oh, here he goes, (laughs) You can imagine Peter is pumped, right? Peter, the guy who would later cut off a soldier's ear as they're trying to arrest Jesus. You can almost hear Peter like yelling, let's go, (laughs) you know, like this kind of like, you know, fake snapping an imaginary tobacco tin. I don't know what his was like at that moment, but I imagine it. Uh, Jesus, right? He's using force. Yes, finally, right? Some action. This is the Jesus we signed up for, you can imagine some of his disciples saying. And I'm sure there are many throughout history who have used this very passage to justify all manner of tantrums and outbursts, violence and causes. But before we get carried away, let's look together at what Jesus is doing here. Jesus, the most well-adjusted human who ever lived, right? Jesus, who fulfills all that the scriptures teach, including this admonition to be angry and do not sin, this Jesus shows us what healthy anger is in John. Jesus is showing us the ingredients list to a righteous anger, the kind of anger that can burn without burning the house down. And look, we need this. We're in an election year, okay? I'm just guessing here, but you're probably going to get angry this year. (laughs) And even today, right, like on your drive home, someone is probably going to do something that's going to make you angry, okay? Like, you're, you're just starting your workday tomorrow, and the thing your colleague says or the issue you have to deal with because someone else didn't is going to make you angry. Maybe you have a parent, a spouse, a sibling, a teammate that is going to make you angry this week. How can you, how can I, how can we be angry but not sin? Let's look together at Jesus' healthy anger. And I want to draw your attention to two aspects of Jesus' anger on display here that I think will help us. Jesus' healthy anger is community-focused. 
And Jesus' healthy anger is cross-shaped. Okay? Community-focused and cross-shaped. First, community-focused. So when Jesus came and turned over tables, and he gave the buyers and sellers an earful, and then as the dust settled, right, who was left? As it turns out, the lame and the blind. We find in Matthew's account of the same incident, this key detail I want to draw your attention to. After Jesus rearranges the temple, in Matthew's version of this event in chapter 20, it's 21, it says this, the blind and the lame came to Jesus in the temple and he healed them. We learn from the end result what Jesus was up to. In order for the weary, the lonely, the needy to come to Jesus, he needed to clear out this space this circus, this marketplace. He needed to clear out all the buying and selling. Why? So the blind and the lame could come. The blind and the lame represent the most impoverished people in this society that Jesus was living in. Yes, because of their inability to see as other people saw. Yes, because they couldn't use their bodies as ably as others, perhaps. But also, significantly, because their poverty was their loneliness and their experience of being unloved, and the sense that they couldn't even afford that. This incident in Jesus' life displays for us the profound passion of Jesus, that we would know the very opposite of life's greatest poverty, the very opposite of loneliness, is communion. Communion with God is what the temple was all about, right? Communion with God is what the church today is still all about. And Jesus' anger has this laser focus on community. Community with God, community with each other, and not just for those who can afford it. Does that describe your anger? (laughs) Ask yourself that. Next time you get angry, try and create a little gap, if you can, between the stimulus of your anger and your angry response. A little gap. And in that gap, ask yourself if your anger is going to create community or destroy community. In the front of your order of worship, if you want to turn there, are the words of Desmond Tutu. He's the late South African bishop and theologian. He describes what is possible with our anger when it is righteous. He also describes what our anger is so often, a reaction. (laughs) A reaction when we feel our self-image is under siege. A reaction when we feel the threat of separation from people that we love or something that we want. And instead, Desmond Tutu tells us what our anger can be. So listen to this, friends. Righteous anger is a tool of justice, a scythe of compassion. So a scythe is an agricultural tool used for harvesting. And think about how righteous anger can harvest compassion. It's an amazing image. Righteous anger is a tool of justice, a scythe of compassion, more than a reactive emotion. It is not about one's own besieged self-image or one's feelings of separation, but of one's collective responsibility and one's feeling of deep, empowering connection, a.k.a. communion. Jesus shows us his passion, his feeling of deep, empowering connection when he removes the barriers to community, when he establishes a clear pathway to communion with God. 
Typically, we exercise self-righteous anger. Jesus shows us righteous anger. Typically, our anger leads to complaint and destruction of community. It leads to alienation. Jesus shows us righteous anger that leads to belonging. Does your anger lead to belonging? Does your anger create community or destroy community? Jesus takes this opportunity to capture what the house of God then and today, the church after all, is the household of God, is all about. Jesus takes this opportunity and he describes it as a house of prayer in the other ways that you know, the gospel writers describe this. And at its simplest, what is prayer, friends? Prayer is simply being with God. Jesus says, my house, God's house, the household of God is a house of prayer for the nations in one of the gospels. And that has been made into a den of thieves, Jesus says. A house of prayer for the nations is another way of saying this is a house of prayer for all. A place where belonging is possible no matter what kind of person you are. The money changers and the sellers, on the other hand, were adding qualifications, and this made Jesus angry. Want to be close to God? All you have to do is buy this dove here for $9.95 and use it as an offering. (laughs) Want to be extra close to God? You can upgrade to a lamb for $400. And it wasn't just the sellers, right, who were into this. They they had buyers. They had customers. They had people who wanted to feel like they could buy God's favor. This is a deeply human impulse. At our most controlling, right, we would rather manipulate God or be God than have to humbly submit to God. The buyers and the sellers were gaming their relationship with God. They were trying to own the blessing that was God's to give. They were trying to self-qualify. They were creating an exclusive tribe of those who could afford it. And Jesus' anger disrupts this system and reestablishes that his healing grace is for all. Jesus' anger is reserved for the sake of others. Jesus' anger clears the way for people to come into community with God and each other. Jesus' anger is community-focused. But Jesus' anger is also cross-shaped. Let me explain. Think about this for a second. What do you think happened to the money changers and the sellers? So Jesus has just come in and disrupted it. And then what? Think about it. Like, the next day, if you were to just rock up to the temple, the very same place that Jesus was turning over tables, and you know what I bet you'd find? The tables are back, (laughs) the buyers are there, the sellers are there, and the marketplace is just as if it hadn't been interrupted. Human nature and routine habits, like when we're told to just stop it, even forcefully, don't change easily. The flipped over tables get flipped back again, do they not? And so days later, when the buyers and sellers were back at it, maybe it was days later, creating barriers to community with God and each other, as all that was happening again, Jesus was on the cross, dealing with the root cause. Jesus' anger is not just an outburst that deals with bad behavior. 
Jesus' anger is a passion, a cross-shaped passion. The very word passion comes from the Latin root that means to suffer. Jesus' anger, his healthy anger, is a fuel that drove him to willingly suffer since Jesus knew that is what will actually reach past the stubborn behavior into the depth of the human heart. Jesus puts it this way. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That righteous anger of Jesus suffers for love to create heart-level change and a deep, abiding, growing sense of belonging. This is what our anger needs. Anger is a powerful emotion, and for it to burn within us without burning the house down, we need to come to see the way Jesus' anger took the shape of the cross. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian and priest famous for resisting Nazi influence in his country, writes this in his book, Life Together, to put a point on it. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray. No matter how much trouble he has caused me, his face that hitherto may have been strange and intolerable for me is transformed in intercession into the countenance of a brother for whom Christ died, the face of a forgiven sinner. This election year, as you become angry, this afternoon, as you become angry, Explore that gap between the stimulus of your anger and your angry reaction. Explore that space to see if you can pray in that space. You can pray for the object of your anger and discover that object actually has a face. The face of that person may yet be transformed by the love of Christ in your imagination in your anger. You too may well become willing to suffer for love. Your anger, transformed by the cross, can become cross-shaped too. One of my favorite, um, well, it's a new favorite movie now. I recently was on a plane ride and had some time to watch a movie, which is a bit unusual, and uh, I just soaked in the movie 42. If you haven't seen it yet, it's the story of Jackie Robinson, and it is powerful. And it's a modern parable, I think, when it comes to anger. So Jackie Robinson uh, was a baseball player uh, shortly after World War II, and at a time when the major leagues in baseball were for white players only. And Jackie was known as a good ball player in the colored leagues. And one day, Branch Rickey, who is the owner of the Brooklyn Dodgers, <clears throat> decided to call Jackie up to the Brooklyn Dodgers, to the white league. He explained... We had a victory over fascism in Germany. It's time we had a victory over racism at home. Now, Jackie was known for being a troublemaker at the time, for having a short fuse, maybe. Uh, he didn't respond well when people played the race card on him. And when Branch Rickey inquired about this, he looked into his story, and he concluded, wow, well, it sounds like he's got a healthy anger about segregation. <laughs> in other words, Jackie had a righteous anger. But in order for what 
Branch Rickey hoped for to happen. That anger needed to yet be transformed. And there's this one really key moment <clears throat> where Jackie is being talked to about his anger issues and some of his outbursts by Branch Rickey, the owner of the Dodgers. And I'm going to quote it to you. Uh, but they're basically having this conversation about, are you up for this? Like, are you really up for what this is going to ask of you? Are you going to blow your fuse? Are you going to start going nuts on people? Are you going to start a fight on national television? That's not going to go well. So Jackie Robinson kind of responds to this line of questioning from Branch Rickey. He says, do you want a player who doesn't have guts to fight back? And Branch Rickey says this, no, no. I want a player who's got the guts not to fight back. People aren't going to like this. They're going to do anything to get you to react. Echo a curse with a curse, and they'll only hear yours. Follow a blow with a blow, and they'll say, well, he lost his temper. He does not belong. Your enemy will be out in force, and you cannot meet him on his low ground. We win with hitting, running, fielding, only that. We win if the world is convinced of two things, that you're a fine gentleman and a great baseball player. Like our Savior, he says to him, you got to have the guts to turn the other cheek. Can you do it? And it's a powerful scene because he's being invited to die, that others can live, essentially live and play ball in a world that is supposedly free. There's so many scenes in that movie that are wild, like singing the national anthem, and I would recommend it. But as the story unfolds, we see the struggle of Jackie Robinson to be angry and not sin. We see the struggle of a man who is taunted abused, harmed, and hated. But with the most remarkable anger, he creates a community on his team that crosses racial prejudice and hate. In one remarkable scene, after being jeered and jeered and jeered throughout a game by the opposing team's manager, Jackie Robinson has to take time and he goes down to the dugout and smashes a bat to pieces. It is a wild scene. And while he's down in this sort of tunnel that leads to the dugout, so kind of private moment, Branch Rickey comes to him down from the stands. Jackie says this, the next white guy to open his mouth, I'm going to smash his teeth in. <laughs> and Branch Rickey says this, you can't, Jackie, you know it. Jackie says, I'm supposed to let this go on. And Branch Rickey says, these men have to live with themselves. Jackie says this, I have to live with myself too. And right now I'm living a sermon out there. <laughs> Branch Rickey says this, you're in this thing, Jackie. You don't have the right to pull out from the backing of people who believe in you, respect you, and who need you. And Jackie says, is that so? Branch says, if you fight, they won't say that bigot forced you to. They'll just say that you're in over your head, that you don't belong here. Jackie says, do you know what it's like having someone do this to you? No, no, but you do, says Branch. You're the one living the sermon in the wilderness, 40 days, all of it, only you. And Jackie says, and not a thing I can do about it? And Branch says, of course there is. You can stand up and hit. You can get on base and you can score. 
You can win this game for us. We need you. Everyone needs you. And Branch Rickey simply hugs him. (laughs) It's the courage he needed. It was the gap that was created between the stimulus for anger and the response. It was the communion he needed. It was the community he needed, the help and bearing the cross that Jackie needed. And from then on, Jackie makes the beautiful game beautiful again. A place where colored players are welcome to play. Desmond Tutu's words again. Righteous anger is a tool of justice, a scythe of compassion, more than a reactive emotion. It's not about one's own besieged self-image or one's feelings of separation, but of one's collective responsibility and one's feeling of deep, empowering connection. (laughs) Anger that is community-focused, anger that is cross-shaped, creates belonging, creates communion with God, with one another. Friends, maybe so among us. Amen.